0: Today's episode of Behind the Beverage is brought to you by BevSpot, empowering the global food and beverage industry with technology. By combining your restaurant's inventory and ordering data with beautifully designed, easy to use software, BevSpot can help you run a more efficient, more profitable business. Check them out today at BevSpot.com and schedule a consultation with one of their specialists to see how BevSpot can help you. That's BevSpot.com, B E V S P O T.com. Hey there, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Beverage, where every other week we present you with the interesting histories and backstories of just about everything in the world of spirits, wine, beer, and beyond. I'm your host, Trevor Bernacci, and this week we're diving headfirst into a whiskey barrel and taking a taste of bourbon, a true American original that helped shape our nation as we know it. I've got a fresh mint julep by my side, so that means it's time to go... Behind the Alright, alright, let's get down to it. We've got a lot to talk about today with bourbon. So, bourbon's history is just about as tumultuous as America's itself. In fact, it's really hard to separate the two from each other because both stories are heavily intertwined with immigrants, farmers, businessmen, paupers, and even barons of industry come into play. The story of bourbon is the story of America, and vice versa. Now, even though bourbon's considered to be America's native spirit by Congress, its history actually starts well before our young country was founded. Around 7,000 BCE, early Native Americans were able to domesticate a type of Mexican grass called teocinta. Now generally, this grass is grown as feed for animals, but it's widely considered to be one of the parent plants to modern corn, which we all know is the main ingredient in bourbon. Now while bourbon whiskey is as American as it gets, the name bourbon is anything but— The House of Bourbon, or Bourbon, if you want to be French about it, actually dates all the way back to 13th century France and actually includes the lineage of King Louis XVI, otherwise known as the Headless King. Uh, And that being said, though, it's far more likely that Bourbon was really named for the county in Kentucky where it got its start than for the French monarchy. Now, if we flash forward a bit to the Revolutionary War, the most popular spirit in the colonies was rum, but since the British had a stranglehold on the world's sugar supply, rum became really scarce during that time. Because of this, colonial Americans needed to get crafty to get their fix, and had to resort to distilling spirits from native grains like corn and rye, which grew in abundance in the colonies. Now, During the 1780s, a lot of steps were taken that ultimately led us toward the development and production of bourbon. In 1783, Evan Williams opened the first commercial distillery in Kentucky, right on the Ohio River in Louisville. Now, if that name sounds familiar, it definitely should. Evan Williams was instrumental in helping develop the whiskey industry of the American South, and his name is still printed on bottles of bourbon to this day. Now, just a couple of years later, in 1785, the now famous Bourbon County was established. Now, the true origin of bourbon whiskey is is heavily disputed, but legend states that in 1789, Baptist minister Elijah Craig, another name you should probably recognize in bourbon, created the first bourbon whiskey by taking moonshine and aging it in a barrel. Now, this does make for a really nice story, but many people believe that bourbon wasn't actually invented by any one person. It makes far more sense that bourbon evolved with many people applying the craft to batch after batch after batch until it became the bourbon we think of today. Now, just after that, in 1792, Kentucky became the 15th state in the Union, the bluegrass State, which helped pave the way for it to become the bourbon capital of the world. The Ohio River Valley, which runs through Kentucky, is incredibly fertile for growing corn, and when word spread around the country about this, early Americans started migrating there to farm it themselves. Now, more people farming corn meant a surplus of corn, and a surplus of corn meant more whiskey production. And not long after that, bourbon was in the thick of one of the biggest conflicts in early U.S. history, the Whiskey Rebellion. The Whiskey Rebellion stretched from 1791 to 1794 and was in protest of the whiskey excise tax brought down by the newly formed federal government. At this time, the nation was deeply in debt after the end of the war with Britain, and the government saw a way to make some of that money back by imposing a tax on whiskey production. It was the first taxation of a domestic product in the history of the country, and it almost tore the nation apart. We had just gone to war over freedoms and taxation, and most of the farmers it affected were war veterans who felt the government was falling into the same patterns as the monarchy they just won their freedom from. Now, everything here came to a head in July 1794, when President Washington himself led a militia of 13,000 troops into western Pennsylvania to help enforce this new law. And before they even arrived, the rebellion dispersed and helped demonstrate that our new government could actually enforce the laws they were setting forth to the people. The events there even contributed to the creation of political parties in the country. Now, despite the victory for the U.S. government, the tax was still really difficult to impose and helped create a really strong black market for moonshine. Well, Finally, in 1802, President Thomas Jefferson repealed that particular version of the tax in order to nip the illegal whiskey industry in the bud and to promote innovation in whiskey production. Despite that, bourbon was mired in controversy for most of the 19th century. It even led to one of the biggest political scandals of the 1800s, when the personal secretary to President Ulysses S. Grant was found to be skimming new whiskey tax money in order to fund smear campaigns that would bury their political opponents. Looks like not much has actually changed in the last 200 years. Now, this just further solidified the whiskey industry in America as one of the most corrupt in the country. However, from 1897 through 1909, many steps were taken in order to right the ship here and make whiskey production a more legitimized business. The Bottled and Bond Act of 1897, which was lobbied for heavily by Kentucky Colonel E.H. Taylor, helped establish quality standards in U.S. spirits that had never been seen before. Up until this point, there was literally no regulation on what could be put into or labeled as a whiskey. Lowbrow distillers were even adding dangerous fillers to their whiskey to make each batch stretch in an effort to make more money. Finally, in 1909, President Taft, the big man himself, made the declaration that the terms bourbon and rye would have to indicate what the dominant base grain was in each spirit, a system that's still followed to this day. So currently, to be called a bourbon, your grain mash needs to be at least 51% corn, and it must be distilled in America. Now, just when it seemed like things were going to be on the level for bourbon, the U.S. Congress passed the ill-fated 18th Amendment into law, which pushed the nation into the Prohibition era from 1920 to 1933. Now, Prohibition destroyed most bourbon distillers and helped usher in the age of organized crime, which is a whole other topic we'll definitely have to give a whole episode to down the line. Now, by the time the law was lifted by President Franklin Roosevelt, only a handful of the big labels like Jim Beam were able to go back into production. Now, you can say what you want nowadays about the mass-produced bourbons of the world like Jim Beam, but if it weren't for those distilleries, we might have lost the art of bourbon distilling in America altogether, so we should definitely give credit where credit is due. For the next 40 years, whiskey remained the number one in spirit sales in the U.S. until a massive shift in the market in 1973. For the first time ever, vodka outsold whiskey on the American market. This was absolutely unheard of at the time. Now, a few different things can be attributed to this shift, including the fact that there was an increase of younger, empowered female drinkers coming of age that were looking for something much lighter to drink than whiskey. About 10 years later, in 1984, a new innovation emerged in bourbon, the concept of marketing whiskey as single barrel. Ancient Age Distillery, which is now known as Buffalo Trace, released Blanton's, which was the first bourbon to be labeled and mass marketed as a single barrel bourbon. Single barrel indicates that a bottle of bourbon was filled from only one specific barrel of aged whiskey, as opposed to blending many barrels together to produce the exact same product every time. This gave bourbon more of a luxury status, more in line with single malt scotch at the time. Jumping ahead, from 2009 to 2014, the bourbon market in America saw a 40% increase in sales. That's massive. The problem is, this led to there being whiskey shortages across the industry. Since so much of whiskey production is done years before the batches are released, there was no way the distillers could have predicted this boom. In effect, most distilleries started scrambling to produce more product as quickly as possible. During this time, it was notoriously difficult to get a hold of once-everyday bourbon labels like Old Weller, Elmer T. Lee, and even Buffalo Trace. Thankfully, there's also been a boom in smaller craft distilleries over the last few years, and as of 2017, there were 1,300 craft distillers registered in the U.S. That is so amazing to see. These days, bourbon is the most widely exported American spirit, and if you factor in the Tennessee whiskeys like Jack Daniels, total global bourbon sales average in the range of $3.7 billion a year. Yes, that was billion with a B. That is outrageous. Now, don't let that make you think we're just sending our national treasure around the world and not keeping enough for ourselves, because nearly $2.7 billion of that stems from domestic sales here at home alone. And that's how we got to where we are today with bourbon. Now, before we wrap up the episode, we're going to jump into our segment we call Pro Tips and Fun Facts. So, pro tip number one. If you want to take your bourbon experience to the next level, try pairing it with a meal. You know, we're always thinking about pairing wine with food. Some of us even think about pairing beer with food pretty, pretty heavily but we got to really think about these other spirits and drinks out there too. So, bourbon itself is a sweet, smooth whiskey that's aged in charred oak barrels. Now, there's not necessarily a smoky component to most bourbons, but the whiskey is definitely born from those toasty barrels. So, try pairing a nice quality bourbon like Four Roses Single Barrel with a beautiful batch of smoked ribs for an amazing experience. Pro tip number two. If you're having a hard time choosing which bourbons to drink straight and which ones to put in cocktails, read up on their flavor profiles online. If a particular bourbon has more notes of orange zest, it might lend itself to the flavors found in an old-fashioned. But if another one has a more pronounced vanilla spice quality from the oak aging, it might be more appropriate to sip it neat as an after-dinner drink. Alright, fun fact number one. In the mid to late 1960s, when he was still at the height of his fame as James Bond, Jim Beam hired Sean Connery as their spokesperson. Which, if you think about it, is pretty ironic, considering the titular spy actually prefers to drink vodka martinis, shaken not stirred. Alright, fun fact number two. The mint julep had been around for a while already, but in 1938, it became the official cocktail of the Kentucky Derby, which it still is to this day. In fact, that year alone, over 120,000 mint juleps were served at the historic race. I can't even wrap my head around having two mint juleps, they're so strong, let alone 120,000 flowing out over bars in one single day. And on that note, we've reached the end of today's episode. As always, thank you so much for joining us. We'll be coming at you with a brand new episode in just a couple of short weeks. In the meantime, though, keep those glasses full, have a great week, and we'll see you next time for another episode of Behind the Beverage. Behind the Beverage is brought to you exclusively by BevSpot. Visit them today at BevSpot.com to find out how their software can help you run a more efficient, more profitable restaurant. BevSpot, empowering the global food and beverage industry with technology. The Behind the Beverage theme song is written and performed by Ila Moana. Check them out anywhere you stream music, Ila Moana at Spotify, Pandora, or iTunes.